In the reading today, we pick up the Easter story, the evening of Easter Sunday. John tells us at the beginning of verse 19, it is the evening of that first day of the week. Saturday being the day of worship for Jews, and the reason Jesus' body was placed in an available tomb rather hurriedly before sunset on the Friday, when Jewish Shabbat starts, ending at sunset on Saturday. It is now Sunday, and rumours are no doubt sweeping through Jerusalem that something has happened to the body of Jesus. Four different individuals or groups have already claimed to have seen Jesus, risen from the dead. First there was Mary Magdalene. She had come running from the tomb even before first light that day to tell Peter and John that the body was gone. Returning later, she met Jesus outside the tomb. Other women who had also been at the tomb saw him and worshipped him. Two people travelling on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and probably his wife, had come back very excitedly, saying that Jesus had appeared to them on their journey and he had ministered to them from the scriptures. Then the word got out that Peter had been seen talking to Jesus and had spoken to him. Or I should say the word got out that Peter had seen and spoken to Jesus because, of course, just the two of them were there. Now the disciples are gathered together and they're in a locked room, fearing retaliation from the Jews, when Jesus came and stood among them. They were overjoyed to see the Lord. In view of all that has happened, it is not surprising that Jesus greets them with the words, Peace be with you. Shalom was the usual greeting in the Middle East at that time, as it is today. Peace be with you. Neither should it surprise us that Jesus proclaims peace to the disciples a number of times in this passage. For he is ministering God's peace to them. He is calming their fears. It is a different type of peace to what the world gives us. God's peace is that inner calmness that is his inheritance to us and the peace that only he can give. Before he leaves them, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is not to be confused, we understand, with the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. Surely it is part prayer, asking for God's favour and protection, because, as John portrays the disciples here, they are still reaching for belief in the risen Lord. It is also a commissioning scene, and here it is helpful to remember that throughout John's Gospel, sin and sins refer to the rejection of Jesus and his ministry. And this commissioning is for the church as a whole and not just a group of elite leaders. John then refers to Thomas. He had not been with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to them in the upper room. And he says he will not believe in the risen Lord until he sees Jesus and the wounds for himself. Jesus will appear to the disciples again 
this time with Thomas present. But it's useful for us to see that the two events present between them, the disciples as believing and disbelieving, thereby again presenting the reality of their circumstances, the confusion and turmoil they are still feeling after the crucifixion and the death of their friend. A week later, the disciples were gathered in the same house again with the doors locked. But this time Thomas was with them. And it must be said here, I think, that it seems rather unfair that we have labelled Thomas with the name Doubting Thomas. Because I'm sure if I asked every one of you here, if you had missed something, you would be doing what Thomas was doing. He's asking for nothing more than what the other disciples have already received, to see Jesus, wounds and all. For some reason, Thomas was absent that first Sunday evening and missed this encounter with the risen Jesus. Now he has the opportunity to see the risen Lord himself. The Christian faith pronounces new life in Christ very energetically. For this is the purpose of the resurrection. We are told to take up our new life, leaving behind our old life. But there is no set of instructions telling us how to get from the one to the other. It doesn't seem very clear at all. There are a number of resurrection stories, like today, that are called the resurrection appearances. Reading them, raw shock, astonishment and confusion seem to figure pretty largely. But so surely does wonder. Although this may be something not felt so clearly today. The first reason being because we look back at that time. We know the story. So maybe we have lost a little of our grasp on wonder. Also, it seems the resurrection has been under theological attack for so long, having to be verified and argued for, proved or not proved. I think there's a book called, isn't there, Who Moved the Stone? This is not wrong, of course, but it is incomplete. The empty tomb is not simply there to be explained. The facts, whether they can be established or not, around the empty tomb is not enough. We need more, and there is more. The resurrection appearances have a far more significant purpose. These are a gift of personal stories, if you like, testimonies, to help us understand the journey into new life, the new birth that Nicodemus had such difficulty understanding, let alone accepting. He was unready at first. But so are we. What is very clear and very encouraging was that the earliest of Christian communities was not ashamed to share the struggle involved in entering new life and grasping the meaning of the resurrection. And we see that the only people in the Gospels to receive risen life, if we can put it that way, or conversion to Christ, were all completely unready including the Roman soldier and the thief hanging next to Jesus. 
Maybe it is the momentous events of Easter, the resurrection, appearances, the ascension and Pentecost that give us hope, where we might not have dared to look for it. The hope of new life, the hope of a new start. Life afresh. The first disciples were astonished and confused by the resurrection of Jesus. They were shocked and bewildered, puzzling over what could be called at that time rumours of life. Jesus' followers were somewhere between death and resurrection, looking for hope in an unexpected place. And of course, it's the place we sometimes find ourselves in. Our reading today is about a grief-stricken, fearful group of people. People so full of doubts and so scared that they have locked themselves away from the world. The promise in this passage from John 19 today is that God cannot be stopped by our locked doors. There is no point hiding from him as he knows our every move, thought and intention. In Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Going to... Psalm 16, David is often called and was called in the Old Testament a man after God's own heart. But he was also a realist. He knew there was evil doing in human nature, including in himself. There were times he did not call on the Lord for help when he had to be reminded that the Lord was his refuge. Psalm 16, our first reading today, is titled The Mictam of David. Now, I don't know why, but I don't know whether you looked it up. I've never really noticed that little word before. I've looked at it and thought, this is the Psalm of David. And then I thought, Mictam. Mictam in Hebrew is commonly understood to mean golden. And Psalms with this title are understood to have been written from a time of peril. Some academics think that the idea is of covering the lips in the sense of secrecy, as if this were a secret or silent psalm given in a time of crisis, if you would like, a bit like a fish drawn on the pavement or on a door. But with certainty, Psalm 16 is a wonderful song relating how David found the secret of contentment and great gladness, even in pressing times. Reading this psalm, we see David's confidence in God. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. As we all know, David was the youngest son of a family with many sons. So he could expect no inheritance from his family. Yet he took joy and comfort in the fact that God was the portion of his inheritance. And he knew David knew that he had a good inheritance. 
In Numbers, God said to the priests in the days of Moses, I am your portion and inheritance. David understood that this was a promise given not only to the priests, but also to all who would trust God to be their portion of their inheritance. God is our portion. He is our inheritance. Thus being the new life given to us by the death of Jesus on the cross. We could not have a bigger inheritance. The benefits of David's confidence in God are the benefits of guidance and security, he tells us in Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David is confident because God is at his right hand. David has made the decision to put God first in his life. He is determined that God would always be his focus, his perspective. We all know this is easier said than done, and David himself really struggled to keep his focus on God. We all do. Jesus instructed Thomas to reach out his hand and put it into his side. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Let me encourage you to read all of chapter 20, because it shows us there are different kinds of faith. That faith comes in different ways, with differing intensities, to different people. We are not always the same. If you could say, with the spirit in the water, we're all at different depths in that water. Nicodemus, poor Nicodemus, couldn't grasp it at all. John, the beloved disciple, believes when he sees the empty tomb. Mary believes when the Lord calls her name. The disciples must see the risen Lord. And Thomas says he much since touch Jesus' wounds. But in the end, this is not a story about absence and doubt, nor is it about a rumour of life. It is about new life with the risen Christ. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, there are times in our lives, and it's sometimes it seems to be quite often within our troubled times that you seem far away and maybe this new life which you have claimed for us through your son Jesus is not quite as it should be with us at that time. Lord, help us to understand that you are always there, that you understand that we are in different places at different times and that wherever we are and whatever is happening, you are our portion. Your gift to us is the inheritance of new life and you hold us in the palm of your hand always. Amen. Amen.